And welcome to a special two-part Father's Day podcast for Smoke and Mirror, How Barbecue Reflects America. We've been doing these podcasts along with our special documentary on barbecue, its controversies, its history, and its soul as part of the American experience. You know, we started all of this, ladies and gentlemen, to basically just do a kind of truncated documentary on the U.S. Open of Barbecue. The first international competition that was based on points was going to happen here in New Orleans. And of course, I'm your host, Christopher Tidmore, broadcasting from our Stateside Studios here on Historic Magazine Street in New Orleans. And we were going to do it and then go around and get some background on barbecue. And what, of course, it's grown into is this entire exploration of the American experience from a corporate standpoint to a personal standpoint to a family standpoint to a racial standpoint and a cultural standpoint of how barbecue reflects America. And of all of the uh, many myriad of guests that we've talked to, the walking encyclopedia of not just barbecue but culinary experience is our special guest joining us for this first half of the podcast. That's Liz Williams, the founder of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum and the Museum of the American Cocktail and a published author on a myriad of, of, of culinary excellence. We'll talk about a couple of her new books that are out later in the program. But Liz, I wanted to start off with a basic question in this second visit that we've had with you, or really with the clips, probably fourth or fifth visit we've had with you. Barbecue, and, and this is something we're going to talk with our next guest on, Barbecue is not only signature to the American experience, it's kind of, since Father's Day is coming up, it's, it's, it's the go-to activity for, for fathers. P- uh, how many people have told me, I don't know what to get my dad for, for Father's Day. I don't like oh, yeah, I'll get him uh, a new thing for the barbecue pit. Uh, it always seems to go, that, and I said, so what do you do on Father's Day? He says, you know, it's kind of interesting. We, sometimes we take dad out, but a lot of times he just wants to barbecue at home. And it's kind of like a, a seminal American holiday in that it's an experience of a manhood holiday. And, I, 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 and you've talked in the past in our visits about how barbecue was a bonding experience, pure, true barbecue in pit, full pig is an all-night experience where people would share stories. And I'm curious about the Father's Day impact of this, or if you think I'm totally off base, if this is just, no, fathers don't want to do anything on Father's Day. You know, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really think that it's not truly barbecue. Uh, I mean, we call it barbecue because we are very loose with yeah. the, the word. It's a really grilling, yeah. but um, I think, yes, that's a very, very Father's Day kind of thing. And uh, whether you're king of the grill or whatever you might call yourself, um, usually it's this kind of man and fire combination. And very often, there is something primal about it, isn't there? You know, it's, yes, yes. I, have my, I mean, whether it's we're, we're pure barbecue, what we've talked about, the true in pit, all night, slow and uh, low, as Jim Early of the North Carolina Barbecue Association says it, or we're talking about grilling, it's the experience of a man being before fire that is almost primeval in a, in a matter of speaking. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's primal, and um, that special thing that happens. Um, to meet when it hits that kind of heat and the slight smokiness that comes and all that sort of thing. It smells really wonderful. And you're doing it outside, which adds another dimension to it, which is very different from cooking over a stove, which is so clearly inside. And um, I, I definitely think that you're right about it being a big barbecue thing. And for a lot of men, the only cooking that they do is grilling. 
They are not really going to make bread or um, cakes or uh, some of the detail-oriented cooking that, that, that some people are really into, but they will like grill hot dogs, grill a steak, grill chicken or something like that. And the perfect day to join everybody and watch your dad grill is, is on Father's Day. And Liz Williams, why do you think, and I, I, I say this very bluntly, it kind of sounds sexist, but why do you think men are so willing to barbecue or grill in this case? Because when we're talking about barbecue, of course, as Jim Early would be quick to remind us, it's or, or for that matter, Harold Conyers or any of the, the people we've spoken to, barbecue is a very specific term from, as you've pointed out, barbacoa, the idea of being in, um, in, in, in the pit over coals, so on and so forth. But the idea of grilling, why do you think men are willing to do that and, I guess, not cook? I mean, it sounds kind of sexist, but I, I'm, I, I said it. Uh, our next guest is going to talk about how she runs a spice company uh, by revelations, my wife Barkley, um, but, uh, who Liz knows very well. But that she, most 80%, 90% of her audience that's not a professional chef or, or uh, spices, but she put together a Father's Day spice packet for barbecue, barbecue rubs, and it's sold overwhelmingly to men. Why do you think that sort of psychological disconnect exists with, uh, with men? It's changing, but why do you think that is? Is it, is it because of the fire aspect? It just reaches something in our, in our hunter-gatherer souls. Well, I definitely think that um, in general, and of course here I am making horrible generalizations about men and all that sort of thing, but I do, I do think it's, it, it is um, some kind of relationship to the fire that is a, a big part of the sort of connection that men feel to grilling. But it is ironic, don't you think, that professional chefs for so many years were all men, but they didn't necessarily cook at home. They cooked professionally. And, um, and yet in the South, it's certainly in Louisiana, a lot of men cook at hunting camps and things like that. So they're boiling crawfish, they're frying fish that they catch and things like that. So the distinction is probably not so strong in Louisiana, but it certainly is around the country, and I, I would say that it's got to be fire that is the big attraction. And I would even say in Louisiana, when you're um, when you're cooking, and obviously this is not a hard and fast rule, but a lot of the cooking that men will do, um, broiling crawfish is a good example, is an outdoor activity. It's 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 not all of it. Certainly, cooking fish is not an, an, always an outdoor activity. And all this, it's that kind of. And it's a social activity, and that's what gets us back to what barbecue essence of, that you're actually around other people, where sometimes, let's face it, a woman cooking in a kitchen, while we'd hope it would be a social activity, historically it was a social activity, is can be a solitary activity sometimes. Right, especially if you're cooking for your family and, and kids are in their rooms doing homework and all of that sort of thing. It, it may be very solitary and often hurried. That's one of the other things about this kind of ritual of barbecue outside or grilling outside or other outside cooking. This is the event. And so because of that, people um, 
really, I think, can enjoy the sociability of it. And also, I think that the sense of control that it gives men that they're, they're cooking over fire and look at this big thing we're doing. If you go to an event and you get um, a jambalaya at, at a big festival or whatever, when it's cooked in those huge, huge cauldrons, it's usually men who are doing that. It's well that just pushes off. We men are just uh, uh, for all of our talk about not you know being solid uh, stoic people. We're just preening before a crowd where women are the strong ones and can actually do this behind <laughs> scenes. So you know, I, I used to I used to you know I, I remember a comic who you know went, uh, was on a cruise ship once and the comic came out and said and he started his routine, you know, uh, uh, women aren't the equals of men and of course the place went silent. You see, uh-huh. they're superior. I mean, think about this just logically. <laughs> I mean, and it goes through. But um, when, when it gets to barbecue, I, this is an activity. And to be honest with you, in the barbecue competitions, we found that the some of the, the leading people that are really starting to win the national barbecue competitions are either husband and wife teams or women. Um, so it's it, it, this, a lot of the social and, um, and gender roles are, are switching with this like everything else. But I do want to get Liz Williams, uh, founder of uh, uh, National Food and Beverage, uh, uh, the Southern Food and Beverage Museum and uh, Museum of the American Cocktail. I, I, I do want to get into a little bit more uh, on the different traditions that we'll see. Now, of course, I do have to ask you one question. Right, we had Jim Early, uh, who's head of the North Carolina Barbecue Association, on. And uh, he, he, he reflected a lot of what you've said. But he got into, I, I asked him, his, his, of course, his estimation is barbecue was born in North Carolina. And, of know, course, was, Of yes. course, uh-huh. yeah. It goes, and uh-huh. he was swearing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that, that would be surprising to a lot of, uh, uh, of African-American slaves and freedmen in, 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 in New Orleans in 1719 at Congo Square. But that aside, um, his, his argument was about the word. And, and, and it was kind of interesting, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I, I wanted your take on it. You had, you'd shared the original Carib word, barbacoa, as the root of barbecue, and it makes the most sense. It was Native Americans, you're learning it, like chocolate comes from chocolata, which is a Natal word, an, an Aztec word, so on and so forth. A lot of these words are existed for thousands of years before the Europeans got here. His argument of bar- barbecue was interesting. He says, from the barbe to the queue... Um, on the idea that, you know, he says no one really knows where the word comes from, but he was he uses it, he says it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of a pig, the nose to the sort of squirting tail, and that that's why barbecue can only be roasting a pig over fire, you know, in a pit, because it's literally referring to a pig. And I thought that was a kind of interesting take on it, maybe too purist, but I, I wanted your take on that. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a person who really studies language in that particular way, his, uh, you know, yeah. but I think that um, it's probably a really, really kind of literalist um, kind of, of etymological um, explanation of the word. Um, I've, I think it comes from Barcoa <laughs> and, and, and I think um he would he would have to show me how that word developed in that way, because um, I I believe that um, you know it's it's really difficult to take a word that we have today, like jambalaya or something like that, and then 
know that we've created a standardized spelling of it and all of that kind of stuff. So, and you take this standardized spelling and you use that as a way to study the, the past of the word instead of going back to the way it was originally used and first time in print and all of that kind of stuff. And so he'd have to really, really point to that to make me believe what he's saying. <laughs> One of the things that I do find that's interesting about Father's Day normally in barbecue is it's this is something like um, that truly cuts across racial, ethnic, and economic lines. That um, I, I use my hometown of New Orleans in this, but you're going to see, you'd see a, normally a lot of crawfish boils around this time of year. You still are, and you'd see a lot of barbecues. Obviously, because of the coronavirus, social distancing, that's not happening to the same degree. But it, it, what, what, what intrigues me about this is it truly, um, and what I've loved about this, it's one of the few activities where you say, let's have a barbecue. It becomes a verb. It becomes an action word of gathering, um, mm-hmm. no matter what you are. And, it, and for that reason, I think not only does it reflect the political and social experience, it reflects all the ethnic and racial experiences. Because I've, while I've seen similar circumstances, I've seen uh, a, a sheep getting roasted at Ramadan at night um, in Asia. I've seen families come together for both. I've never seen across an entire culture to say, hey, come over to my house and everybody, and, and he's going over to his house and everybody on the same day is having a barbecue or something similar across the entire culture, regardless of race, background, and, and, and um, or ethnicity. Yes, I do. I do think that, and I, I would say grilling coming from yeah. barbecue queuing um is definitely a very american experience and um i i think you really don't find it in other like if you went to europe or um you know it's certainly found in south america um and you can go to argentina and and see the parisha and um and all of that so i mean the the very um the very act of cooking over fire that way, especially neat, is um, is something that is very, very uh, all across the Americas from the top to the bottom. And I, I think you're right. It's a very American experience. Liz Williams, speaking of American experiences, one of the things, of course, we wanted to do, folks, is premiere the movie at the uh, at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. And eventually, when we have we can actually gather, you know, <laughs> about two or three hundred people, we're going to do that. But one of the things that's intriguing about your museum is um, not only do you have every culinary style and, and reflection, you 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 really do have. Uh, both grilling and barbecuing from around the country. You have an absolutely, uh, you have a full pit designed by how, uh, by Dr. Conyers to to do this. And you've got every state's tradition of grilling and barbecuing, including a blues joint that was a barbecue joint reconstructed inside. And I'm curious, how are the states in the different regions we're really talking about a little bit different when it comes to this early summer, Father's Day barbecuing? I mean, for us in New Orleans, we say June, early summer. My God, it's been hot like this since April. But (laughs) but for most people, summer starts around Father's Day. That's really about, or maybe Mother's Day, around that time. That's when their consciousness of summer and the warm weather starts. And so this is sort of a kickoff to summer in a matter of speaking, this Father's Day gathering to barbecue. And how does it differ in the states around the country? 
Well, of course, so much is based on geography and what animals grow naturally and all of that sort of thing. So that, of course, in Texas, your barbecue is always going to be beef because they're cows in Texas. And um, so you have the animal that changes um, from state to state. All along the coast, you'll find roasted oysters, and sometimes you'll find smoked fish that happens in smokers that can be brought out to the beach and things like that. And the meat of the fish is so delicate that it doesn't take long to get smoky. Um, and you've got, um, you know, Kentucky, where they're going to do mutton barbecue, and you've got all of the Atlantic um, area where they're going to be doing uh, pork. And in Alabama, you've got a lot of chicken barbecue. So um, uh, that changes from place to place. Um, but then the other change from place to place, often related to the meat, is that um, you've got different kinds of sauce. So in some places you have a rub, some places like in the Carolinas, the thing I love about it is they basically just cook that pig and they don't, um, they don't put a whole lot on it and it, it comes down to sauce rather than seasoning it beforehand. Um, and then you've got uh, just all kinds of different sauces, the tomato-based sauce, we're using a lot of molasses and the sugars that bring out that that wonderful um, caramelized meat flavor. It's a uh, it, it changes and it's very geographic. Liz Williams, I'm curious about something because one of the things I've gotten into and we've talked about, and we're about to talk about in the second half of this podcast, is about rubs and how you do rubs. But if you're doing conventional pure barbecuing, I mean the the idea of of a full pig or a full cow in the ground, you know, in a pit, the, the whole thing. You can't really do a rub of that. So would it be afterwards or is it just simply the sauce It just uh, that comes at the end of that process? Well, they're, they're usually it's just the sauce because, you know, if you rubbed the skin of the pig, it would <laughs> never really get into the meat. Um, so there's no point in, in, in wasting all those seasonings. And, of course, in the past, spices have been enormously expensive. So, you know, it comes in the sauce, um, definitely. Okay. But if you're, if you're just dealing with a piece of meat, of course, then you can, you can crust it and uh, mix that, those seasonings in with sugar, like brown sugar or something, and, and get a really nice, crusty flavor on the outside. You know, the interesting thing, too, is that usually by the time you hit Father's Day, you're in, the, in a year like this, you're in election season, and you'd go from uh, election barbecue to election barbecue, and that's what presidential candidates have done since George Washington, since he ran for the House of Burgesses, it, it, as part of the experience. And, and because of the coronavirus, that's not going to happen. I'm curious, and you, you, you pay attention to these things much closer than I do, how have people managed to keep their family gatherings for food, their friends and gatherings for food, and particularly their barbecue gatherings to make the food alive in the midst of the era of social distance? What, what are people doing? Because it's, it, it, unless they're totally not paying attention to it, and some aren't, it's kind of tough to d keep a six-foot distance when you're trying to feed people. So how are people getting around it? Well, I mean, I think that they're, 
a lot of people are, of course, it all happens outside, which makes it easy. And then I think if you set up a buffet table and then you make sure that people can stay apart one at a time and then sit far apart, you know, kind of lap eating as opposed to table eating, um, that's the way that people have been trying to um, trying to maximize their family time in these times. But when you have children, I think that makes it much more difficult because if you're a three-year-old, you're just not going to worry about social distancing rules and little babies get passed around anyway and things like that. So I, I do think it's really, really hard. Liz Williams, um, there's so much we can talk to you about, uh, but I promised you I'd get you out of here in about 25 minutes. So <laughs> I, I do want to, I do want to say not only, um, uh, plug the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, which I know is is, is a, a, on the verge of you know has really uh, hit the reopening size. But some of your work that has coming in, you, your um, your book on uh, on, on Creole Italian uh, 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 cooking has been hitting. You've got some new works coming out. Can you tell us about it? Well, the the book about uh, Creole Italians is coming out in the beginning of 2021. And uh, it's in the editing process right now. So thank goodness it's done in terms of the writing. And, uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that coming out because it kind of is part memoir and part cookbook and part history uh, of the Sicilians, really, in New Orleans. So... Um, yeah, keep an eye out for and that. And people, and I, 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 this has nothing to do with our topic, though I would say Sicilian barbecue is a very key part of the Sicilian American experience. But more, of course, Sicilian, more Italians, particularly Sicilians, came to New Orleans than any place but New York City. So people f- think of New Orleans as a French food culture, as a Spanish food culture, as an African food culture, and certainly it's all those things. But we don't often appreciate that key elements of our food culture has to do with the quarter of the city that is of Italian descent. And can you just elucidate that a little bit? Well, it's one of those things that um, I think was a phenomenon of Italian immigration all over the country. Um, What was really distinct about what happened in New Orleans is that the people who came here were almost exclusively from Sicily from about 1885 to about 1915. And tens of thousands of people came and settled in the French Quarter and then kind of spilled over into Treme um, and lived among the African-American families that were there in Treme. And uh, they definitely changed the, the food of New Orleans, whether it was bread, they opened pasta, what, what they used to call macaroni factories, um, all throughout the French Quarter, um, our olive salad that we so cherish, uh, and muffalettas. Really interesting is that even though the tomato is an American product, it's an American fruit, and it was brought by Columbus back to Europe and Although it was rejected in some parts of Europe because it's related to the nightshade family and people thought it was poisonous, it really took off in southern Italy and in Sicily. And there were so many tomatoes that they began canning them. And the practice of using canned tomatoes as opposed to fresh tomatoes was then brought back 
from by the Sicilians to New Orleans so that our red gravy, which is almost always made with canned tomatoes, came from from sort of the Coles to Newcastle kind of uh, <laughs> thing where the tomatoes came back in a different form back to uh, to New Orleans. So I think that's kind of fun. The snowballs come from the Sicilians. I mean, we could just make a really long laundry list. Um, but and I and I would and I would add, of course, jazz. Um, uh, it, it, it's an it's an Afri- it, It's the bambula. It's the African customs coming into uh, American music. But it was popularized and, for the most part, uh, evolved because of Ita- Sicilian Italian musicians that lived in the same neighborhoods as uh, African Americans. The Treme, where it was born. And they would be the ones that would that would really push it, the Louis Primas and so on and so forth. Right, and even in the most of the early um, the early uh, jazz bands, uh, the late nineteenth uh, century and early twentieth century, there were often Italians in the bands playing, and they were so dark that often in photographs you can't tell that they're actually Sicilian and not and not African American. Mm-hmm. Liz Williams, um, uh, it's always a privilege to have you on. We have to get a plug. Um, What's going on with the museum right now? Well, we're we're about to open. We're going to be opening right after the Fourth of July holiday. So that Monday, I think, is the sixth, and so you'll you'll find us open. And uh, we're really excited to open and uh, welcome people back again. We have expanded. We have changed things. So if you come in, it will be an all-new museum. We've opened a meat lab. We now have podcasting studio. Um, we just really um, are going to be uh, a notch higher than we were before. So we're very excited to welcome people. And people can learn about it by going to our website at SoFab. Uh, I'm sorry, at southernfood.org. Southernfood.org. Liz Williams, it's always a privilege to have you on um, our podcast for Smoke and Mirror, How Barbecue Reflects America. Of course, folks, you can always hear not only these podcasts, but see clips from the movie itself by going to smokeandmirrormovie.com. That's smokeandmirrormovie.com. And uh, hopefully uh, many people will get to see the museum as we eventually, when we get past this, we're going to premiere it there. So uh, That's true. It comes through. So folks, we'll be, uh, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, hold on, just click down for the next podcast that talks about grilling and spices and the sort of American experience of, of uh, Father's Day and barbecue right, uh, right down the screen. Thank you much.